This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is March 1st, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Robert Goldsmith, and I was there at the station from 1978 to 1980. Okay. And what shows or programs did you work on at the station? Well, I mostly worked on one show. I sort of founded it and ran it during the time I was there, and that was the Post-Punk Progressive Pop Party. Mm. Very cool. Um, so did you have a title as producer of the show, or did you have any other titles or management positions? I, I don't think I had any titles. I don't remember having any. I mean, I, I, I programmed the show and picked and picked all the new music for it for most of the nights, but I don't even think I was the music director or anything like that. Okay. I sort of remember someone else as being the music director. His name was Fred. I can't remember his last name, but I think he was at least part of the time I was there. I'm not sure what he did when we had this show going on, but thats I don't think I had any title. Okay. Um, did you use your own name on the air? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? No, the the punk world was full of aliases, so I decided to just use my own name. How how punk rock of you? Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so I like to ask this as a two part question, but answer however it makes sense to you. I I always want to know what is it that brought people to the radio station, and then if you could give us a picture of what the station was like when you got there, maybe anybody that you met, what it looked like, what it smelled like, what was going on when you first showed up at WBHC? Let's see. Um, I had interned while I was in high school at WBAV, which was Hmm. a rock, a commercial rock station in Suffolk County. And I had wanted to be there. I had very, they gave me lots of production things to do and, but they, I wanted to be on the air at that time. And uh, of course, there wouldn't, you know, there was no chance for that being an intern. I had to go get experience somewhere else. So that was my intention when I went to Hofstra Radio. Um, so I'd already had maybe six months of editing and various minor production um, jobs, basically, that I had done as an intern. But I had never been on the air. And um, that was my main goal when I first went to Hofstra. Um, I don't, I don't remember too specifically, you know, much about the look of the station, other than it was, it was, it was very, I, I guess, um, plain. I mean, uh, there were there was a few offices, and you know, it, at least in comparison to the one other station I had seen a pretty small um, production facility and mm. an actual air air room. That's that's how I remember it. So were the studios still underneath the little theater at that time? Honestly, I, I don't remember the layout. I think okay. so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure if, if at that time the there were separate offices in Memorial Hall and the studios were under the little theater. There's a there's a staircase to go down underneath, and it's been described in various ways as as, as somewhat unsanitary and dark and unsafe. So I, I wondered if that's stuck in your memory. No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so let's go back a little bit. Um, how did you get an internship at WBAB, and and what brought you to there? How did how did you arrive uh, at that idea? 
I guess I was a listener and I had, I had heard them announce that they had um, internships for high school students. And uh, I was very getting very much getting into music at the time. I was probably a junior or senior in high school. And um, I just went out there and uh, or, or probably called about it first and went out there for a little interview. And then um, I made it, basically. I think there were a couple of other interns from other high schools on Long Island. And um, I, you know, I met all the air personalities at the time. I remember Bernie Bernard was one of them, which is a woman. <laughs> and um, Bill Andres, who I think was on in the afternoon. And there was uh, a, re a relative of Francis Ford Coppola who was on at night. And I can't remember what his first name was. But mm. those were some of the DJs. And uh, like I said, they, they gave me... Um, I guess grunt work, production work for commercials and and uh, interstitial program thing, you know, things that you know I could more, probably weren't too hard to do, and that uh, you know nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, that sounds like intern work for sure. Did you have any any preconceived ideas of what a radio station would look like before you went in there? What What was your impression of? I guess I thought I guess I thought it was much more glamorous than it than it actually <laughs> is. <laughs> <laughs> the common misconception, yeah. Yeah, nobody, nobody there was anything out of the ordinary, other than they looked like people you'd run into in a supermarket, basically. Right. Um, so, did they? Did, did someone at BAB uh, teach you how to cut tape or how to work any of the equipment? What was the process like there? Um, I think I, I think I learned to edit audio there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On real, real to real tape. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, I think that was most of what I did. I remember, um, I remember them using carts. Uh, you know what those are, right? Yeah, uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I, and I think that I made some for like, uh, little, in, little station promos that, that they had maybe like if a musician would stop by and record something for them, I would I would record it onto one of those that they could play at the top of the hour. Things things like that. Neat, neat. So um, you you spend I think you said about six months at W W B A B. Did you right. become a student at Hofstra, or did you just go over to the radio station? No, I became own? a student. I enrolled yeah. in in the fall of '78 as a communications major. And uh, I immediately went to the radio station to see what what it was like and what I could do there. They had a they had various shows during the daytime, um, which I've heard you discuss with other people. Um, bluegrass, show tunes, I think classical music, maybe jazz, um, polka music, uh, all mm -hmm. kinds of things. And there was a rock show that was on three nights a week. I have a feeling it was called Airwaves, also, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe that's some. Maybe that's a name that they came up with later mm -hmm. on. But I don't remember what. It, I guess I don't remember what it was called. But it was only on three nights a week for sure. Mm. And it was more or less classic rock, sort of like what BAB played, I guess. So was that a little bit of a a, a culture shock or or a disappointment that you show up at the at the Hofstra radio station? And there's this this mix of things that maybe you liked or maybe you weren't into because you know you were interested in rock music. What was that like uh, learning about like the the multi genre format? 
Well, I quickly teamed up with another freshman whose name was Sal Licurdo, um, mm-hmm. and we decided that we were going to try to start a different kind of show there, playing what we considered more modern, more modern rock music. Um, so we we quickly did that. We went uh, to the station manager with the idea of starting like a punk and new wave show. And uh, I don't think this was something he was too interested in. I don't think he had any interest in rock music at all, but Sal was very diplomatic and persuasive and, and he got him to let us do this. Um, and I guess he wasn't too invested in the rock show that was there. And so initially it was just on three nights a week, um, but it took off pretty quickly. Um, I don't, to give you a little background, there had been a punk and new wave station before I ever went to Hofstra. It was WPIX. Mm. It was on the air for about a year and it played what there was around at that time, which was, uh, which was Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello and Graham Parker. And um, maybe they played, maybe they played some classic rock too. I'm not sure, but um, it, w- it was it was really different from anything else that had ever been on the air. They probably played, they probably played the original punk bands too, at least the more commercial songs that they had, the Clash and the Buzzcocks and things like that. Right. And um, you know, it was quite a revelation. But it was taken off. I don't even think it lasted a year, and it was. Um, and they changed the format of it. And so then there was nothing like that on the air at the time. So that's so we wanted to institute something and update it with the music that had come out since then. And that's that's the kind of thing we wanted to do um, at the Hofstra station. And so he got us to Sal, I think, pretty much was the driving force to let to convince the station manager to let us have those three nights a week, which we did. And um, it didn't take long before it really kind of took off. I, I don't remember us doing anything too strenuous to promote it, but before before very long, we were getting lots and lots of phone calls, um, 20, 30, 40 calls a night, basically. Wow. It was, and it would be very, it was, you know, it was a little hard to handle for one person to talk on the phone all the time and also engineer for himself and you know, do everything else that you have to do. So we wound up um, all hanging out during other during other people's shows to ha- to mostly to answer the phones, um, and uh, people were crazy about it. Like, because it was it, it was three hours of un, you know of unadulterated music. There were no commercials, obviously, or anything, and um, so it was even better than what what had been on before that. <laughs> And um, like I said, there was nothing at all like that. I'd, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was the first college station to do this. I mean, and not long after that, there would be others. Um, I think I, I don't I don't know exactly which ones, but there were there were other there were other college stations which adopted the, a similar format, maybe even for more than three hours a day, um, pretty soon after that. But I th- I think this might have been the first. Hmm. That's that's very impressive. And do you remember anybody else? Because you mentioned, I, I guess it seemed like a team effort 
to do these shows with all the phone calls and, you know, punk rock records are, are short. They're mm-hmm. not seven minute, you know, anthems there. You're, you're going, you're going, you're going, you're doing your breaks. Right. So it seems like it took a, a, a group effort other than, than you and Sal. Do you remember anybody else who's working on it? So the other people who were, who were working there, we, there were, um, one of the original people, his name was Jim Briggs and he went by the name of Jimmy Dredd on the air. Um, nice. He was a student also. And I think Barry Lane was also there at the at the beginning. I think he probably was the same year as me. And um, I installed my girlfriend at the time. Her name was Joan Mule, and she called herself Jennifer Metro. And she was one of the only people I knew there who was really into this kind of music. And she she wound up doing a show, and it it didn't take very long before it be, it, it expanded to six nights a week. I don't remember exactly how long, but within the first within the first few months, I think um, it was because it was there was clearly a need for it. Um, and uh, by that time, and there were there were some other students who were in, who I remember being around at the time. One was Rick Walzewski, and another one was Chris Store. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were they weren't there. They might not have been there until like the second year. I don't think, I think I might have been one year ahead of them, but I'm not sure about that. But once we, once it became six nights a week, uh, there weren't enough students who had any, who had an interest in doing this, um, you know, cause it's, it was pretty esoteric, right? Right. At the time. So we wound up getting in a whole bunch of other people who didn't go to the school to do shows. Um, we got two of the DJs from WPIX they came and did it. One one of them was named Jane Hamburger, and the other one was Steve the Pistol Jones, who went on to actually work also at WLIR, and he's had a great and long career in radio since then. And um, also, I don't remember how he how this came about, but there was another uh, older guy. He was probably in his thirties at, at the time, and he was from San Francisco, but he was living in New York, um, and his name was Paul Schiller. And I think he called himself the captain when he was on air, and he was the most popular personality. He had a great radio personality. He was he was very entertaining, and I don't. He must have done radio before, but I can't remember wh- where he did it or anything like that. But he's the one who actually came up with the name post punk pop progressive pop party. Um, and there were there were a few other characters too. Um, Carl Bloat, who I think was a friend of Steve's, who came on and did a show and called himself Louis the Looper. When you see that there were all these other punk names there, I, I guess that, that's why I felt I didn't need to have one. Right. Basically. Well, I, 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 I assumed that Carl Bloat was was the, the punk name. I didn't know that was his, his legal no, that's name. No, re- that, 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 that's his real name. <laughs> that's what I get that, for assuming. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Louis the Looper is what he called himself. Um, and so all these people were on the air um, in the first in the first year or two of this show, basically. Um, and I, I discovered at the time that I was more into programming than into being on the air. So I probably wasn't even on the air every week. Um, oh, and there was even somebody else uh, at the time. There were um, there were a couple of. Uh, nightclubs in Manhattan, which had the bands, which had live, which had bands who we played on the show who would go to perform there. Most of the, most of the 
probably most of the bands that we played at the time were from England. There was there was a bit of a punk scene in this country, in obviously in New York and also in like Akron, mm. but it hadn't sort of had sort of hadn't caught on in the rest of the country yet. And most of the things that we played were were English, and a lot of English bands went and played at Hurrah, which was on 62nd Street, and at the Peppermint Lounge, which was on 45th Street. Hmm. And one of the DJs from Hurrah came and did a show, and she had never done radio before. This I remember. Her name was Sarah Salir, and uh, it, it was it was very cool. She, so she, uh, I know, knew even more about the stuff than I did because she was a DJ and she had been a DJ for even you know since the mid seventies, probably. Um, so she, you know, programmed her own show, but I think for the rest of it, what I would do is I would go out to, um, Metro records in, in, uh, Queens. It was just on the Queens Nassau border. And I would badger the guy to play me all the new records that he had gotten. in. I would go there at least once a week and I would come back with, with fistfuls of, of import 45s and things like that. And, uh, and that's what we would play. And we would also scout, the British music press also for, you know, to see what was coming out and see who, who they liked. And uh, this is how we programmed the show. So those records, you were paying for that out of your own pocket. Yes. Um, yeah. These were imports. They weren't available, um, you know, through American record companies, at least not at first. Um, so yeah, I would, I would go out and I would, I would, yeah, I would bring all these back. That would be the only way we would have them. <laughs> it's it's such a, a a difference between how information and music is shared today. Obviously, we have the yeah. internet and all kinds of connections, and you can you can find just about anything from anywhere. It must have been, you know, you have the places that you go, this record shop in, in Queens, and it seems like there's a community that sort of feeds like, oh, this is the new thing or this is a new single out or you should check that out. How else did you find out about the music and the people? It must have been just word of mouth, I guess. Um, well, I would uh, I would go to I, I went into I was going into Manhattan almost every weekend to go to a show mm-hmm. or to go to a club. And I would tell, I would, I used to tell tons of people about this show that we did and almost, almost every one of them would say they, they, they'd heard about it, but they couldn't get it because mm-hmm. <laughs> they all lived in Manhattan basically. And it, and it didn't quite reach there. Um, but soon, pretty soon we decided that it was popular enough that we would try to promote some shows on Long Island. And um, we somehow hooked up with my father's place, the place in Roslyn. Yeah. And we got them to book a couple of things. Um, we they they they, uh, they booked the Teardrop Explodes. Do you know them? They yeah. were a they were a Liverpool band, and they were kind of um, they were ra- they were they came around at the same time as Echo and the Bunnymen, who became one of the biggest bands of the eighties. Um, right. And they were only around. Uh, for a few years, but they were sort of popular at the time. And they played, they came over and played a show there, which, and one of us um, went on and introduced them and interviewed them at the station beforehand. And we did that also with a band called the Monochrome Set, who were a very cool band. I think that Morrissey is is very into. Um, if you don't know them, you should check them out. Okay. And uh, same thing, you know, we had them over on the station, at the station for an interview, and then we would you know, we went to the show 
There might have been a couple of others, but that's those are the ones I remember. My father's place was a great venue at the time. They had um, I went to see Devo there, XTC, The Police, <laughs> all kinds of all kinds of things. Basically, right, no now, now you're showing off. Now that's you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, there was nowhere else. There, there was no Malibu. There were no right. other clubs on Long Island first, so they really had they'd cornered the market. Basically, any 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 band that came through and wanted to play Long Island, that's where they would go. That's very cool. And and um, you mentioned earlier um, one of the DJs came up with the name for P5, the post-punk progressive pop party. That's always been my favorite radio show name at you know, any station, any time that I've ever heard. And <laughs> I, I just I didn't know if you if you had any recollection about where that came from or or how that happened, because I've just I've loved that ever since the first second I ever heard it. Yeah, I guess it didn't have a name before before that. Um, and uh, somehow, I guess all the other shows there had names. So we decided that this one needed it. And uh, that worked because it had it had that idea of post-punk which was sort of the handle for the for a lot of the music that that was around at the time and then it also had the other part of it the progressive pop party which made it sound like this fun crazy wild thing that was you know that everybody wanted to partake in and so it really it really it really worked I, i think and as soon as we heard it we knew that had to be the name yeah, I mean that the I guess the early punk scene, your your nineteen seventy five, seventy six, your Ramones and and so forth. That's that's the original punk, and then by the time you're there, it's already sort of morphed into something else. Like you mentioned, uh, uh, bands like the Clash, and then other things that are sort of morphing into new wave. That must have been such an exciting time to be accumulating this music and seeing these shows. And and, and you mentioned so many more people are coming to the station. Uh, were they? Do you think they were coming because of the show? Or were you aware of that, or was it just people show up at the radio station and like, "Oh, that's cool! I want to do that." It's a good question. I don't know. Um, I don't know if they were coming because of the station. Um, and I, and I, 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 I have never had an idea of how many people exactly were listening. I mean, yeah. I just, I just know that everybody who did it got a constant stream of requests and sometimes people who just just called and wanted to talk about music because they didn't know anybody else in their own lives who was into this mm-hmm. which was which was not uncommon um so i think that um well i i i don't know i think that when, if you're a band coming from england and at this time, you know, you're going to play New York and you probably want to play Los Angeles, but you don't want to come just to do those two shows. You want to, you want to do some more, right? Yeah. So this was, and, and this is so close to New York that it's a natural, it's a natural stop basically. Um, so I think that's why a lot of them, why a lot of them did that. I mean, and then probably from there, they would go on to, I guess, Philadelphia or Washington, um, but while they were in New York, they figured they should do, they should, they should um, also play this place. Many of them did many of the, even, even original punk bands, the Ramones and Buzzcocks and they all played my father's place. Wow. Wow. That's very cool. Oh, to, oh, to time travel to those days. That must've been fun. <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I don't think I saw the Ramones when they were there, but I read a review in Newsday of it and it said, it said, it said they sounded like, 
the sound of ants being magnified 600,000 times. Nice. <laughs> That's in a good way. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a positive review. No, I, no, but <laughs> I, I, I want to hear that. I want to, yeah. I want to check that out, but uh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, I want I want to go back to to getting started at the station. Uh, you said you and Sal came up with this idea, but in terms of getting involved at the station, was there anybody who kind of taught you how to be a DJ or what the rules were? Were there any classes or, uh, you know, getting your FCC license? What was what was the deal with that? So I I did get an FCC license, and I do remember actually engineering some other shows that weren't this show. Um, I guess not everybody engineered their own show, something like that. Right. Um, and, and I'm sure there were classes for that because I didn't, I didn't have one of those before I went there. Um, but I don't remember, I don't remember the classes. Um, and uh, as far as who instructed me to be on the air, it's a good question. I'm, I'm afraid I don't remember who, I don't, I don't remember who it was. It was, uh, I remember it might've been this music director whose name was Fred. And I want to something like the last name was like Oberst or something like that. It might've been him. He was on, he probably did the, the uh, rock show that preceded this. And so I probably hung out with him and, and, and became familiar with the equipment and just how to act on air. I think from, I think from listening to him. Okay. Um, it's much more punk rock story that, you know, you just showed up and figured it out, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. It goes with a legend. <laughs> no one showed us; we just figured it out. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I didn't do any of the other shows that were on during the daytime, and I think that most of the people that I just told you about—I don't think any of them did either. I remember that I also was interested in, and I did at least once go and do like a basketball game there. <laughs> with uh, we went somewhere to like Connecticut, and I think. I think it was Todd Ant was the other other person, and there might have been one more. And then I I don't think I, I I don't know if I wasn't any good at it or it was I was substituting for somebody else who regularly did it. But I think I I only think I only did it once or twice, and that's that's the only other thing I ever did on the air there. I think. So you were on the air doing the game with Todd. Yeah, I did. Nice. I was on the air. I did like he did the play by play, and I did the color. I think. Okay. That's 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 a fun experience. It to was. Be sure. it and was Todd, a, it, Todd's it great to work fun. with, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that was that was a cool thing. Um, I I, I want to ask this um, because a number of people who preceded you talked about uh, the presence of Jeff Krause, and there wasn't a lot of rock and roll music, and and there wasn't a lot of uh, sort of cutting edge material and then you guys show up and you talk the station manager into letting you do this thing three nights a week and then it takes off um do you remember any interactions with jeff anything uh you ever heard from him or any advice or warnings or anything like that well um i think we had our differences i don't think he was too i don't think he was too interested in in what we did and i i think he sort of opposed it i it i um, I don't think I, I'm pretty sure that I couldn't have gotten this done if it was just me and him. I don't think I could have, um, swayed him into letting us do this. I'm pretty sure that it was the other guy. Um, right. and, uh, my own interactions with him were, were 
pretty nondescript. Um, okay. He wasn't, I don't think he was, um, I don't think he was ever really happy with it. I, I don't think he cared how many listeners it had or, or maybe he, I don't think he believed it. I know he would never, he, it was on, um, you know, late at night, 11 to two. And he, I don't think he ever came to the station to, to hear what was going on. Um, okay. So, yeah. But I, I think it's, it's, you know, whether, whether he liked it or not, I, I think he gave, you know, it's interesting that he gave it the space it needed and expanded the nights and whether that's a student decision or not, you know, these things run through Jeff. So I think, like right. you say, even if he wasn't into it, even if he wasn't, you know, part of it, I, I think that, that he gave it some room to breathe and become something interesting uh, is, is pretty cool. I think that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, you, you get there, you've got a little bit of time at, at WBAB and you show up and, and you meet Sal and a couple other people. It, were, were you pretty comfortable at the station right away? Were you spending time there other than the show or was it just you're pretty much doing that? I, I think I was there all the time. Um, I, I paid little attention to the actual classes that I took. And I think yeah. I just I just spent most of my time at the station. And um this this took a toll because after a couple of years I dropped out because <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> I really wasn't interested in any of the classes that I took. Um, I, I remember especially finding the communications classes, which especially boring. And uh, yeah, I think I was probably at the station like many hours a day. <laughs> That's it's a it's a familiar tale that uh, yeah. the classes become secondary and the radio stations the. It's the main thing. Yeah, I was, um, I, I, I was really, I was really into the show. Um, I, I spent hours and hours putting, you know, putting t- together playlists for the, for the evening, and um, you know, tr- also on the phone trying to get. Um, I, 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 tried, I tried to get a lot more interviews. Um, mm-hmm that we could play that we could do on the phone and broad and broadcast or actually get the bands over here to to um have in the studio we tried to get live performances and i don't think we ever pulled that off um but i I was basically doing you know all this kind of all this kind of extracurricular work for the show it was it was it was more than just um it, it, it took a lot of production basically it wasn't just the three hours a night that it was on yeah it sounds like a full-time job (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was it was but it was the most it was one of the most fun jobs i've ever had i'll say it. so sure. when you're when you're talking about clearing records and buying records and then were, were you programming and telling the djs you know i want you to play you know six of these records from this pile or or what how much programming were you actually doing uh a lot um so i would come in with a i would come in with like 20 new singles a week or something like that Wow. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd want them, I'd want them to be, I'd want them to be played like, um, at least half of them on, during the course of a show. I don't remember exactly how, how it worked, but, um, yeah, I wanted there to be, uh, had, had, it had like a format of like, um, in, in, like, um, cutting in unknown groups along with more well-known groups, basically, right. um, so they would, you know, they would, we, we would play all the groups that had already been established um, that were, you know, in this vein, um, the Elvis Costellos and Nick Lowe and things like that. And I guess even the Clash or somebody like that. 
you know, they were all pretty famous by that time. Right. And um, we would inter, we would, we, we would play those, but we would, you know, intersperse, you know, unknown English bands that we had just come up with once, who had just had one single out and we would, you know, put them in, you know, it was probably, we would probably keep that to a minimum and play, you know, slightly more familiar things because we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to, we wanted people to be a little bit more comfortable with it, like the, you know, the, the listeners, because we know that obviously they weren't all going out and, you know, spending all day in the record store and right. you know, listening to these things. So we, we tried to introduce them gradually. Give the people what they want and give them a little bit of what they need. Yeah, well, that's a good question. We the, There were certainly listeners, and I don't know if they were, we never knew if they were, if there was anybody at the college listening. Right. Um, right. But there were, you know, people out in the community and they weren't, they, they all sounded like they were college age. <laughs> it wasn't a thing that, you know, 40 year olds were into, you know. Right. So it, it may have been, they may have been, some of them may have been Hofstra students. Um, or, you know, students at some of the other colleges. Yeah. I, I'm so interested in the, in the, in the programming aspect of it, because, you know, like you said, you're putting in all this work to get these particular songs or bands out there. Was there, was there a, a fair amount of leeway? So if, you know, one DJ one night was like more into like stiff records and Elvis Costello and another <laughs> one who's more in like to mod stuff and the jam or whatever. Was there a little bit of variation on that or was it kind of a little more? Unique? Oh, there was, there was, it, it wasn't very regimented. It was just okay. a, a general kind of guidance because they all, um, they all knew, they all knew stuff. Uh, yeah. They had, they all had their preferences and, and they didn't need to be told what to do exactly, but they, pro they might not have known these really new things that were being brought in. Um, you know, uh, bands that only had one single and never were right. heard from since then. I, I mean, not everybody would know all those, but, um, they, they knew, they all knew the basics. Okay. Um, I want to jump back a little bit. Um, the first time you guys did, whether it was named P, it wouldn't have been named P5 at the time, I guess, if it even had a name. But do you remember doing the show the first time with Sal or by yourself or what you were hoping it would be? Or, you know, were you nervous? Were you excited? What was going on the first time you, you did one of these shows? Uh, I think I did a little introduction to say to tell them what we were going to do, um, and to tell them we were that we were going to be playing um, new rock. It, this was not going to be a classic rock show. This would be stuff that was current and, and of the moment, and uh, we would be playing you know a lot of New York bands and a lot of and a lot of British bands uh, that were all making records at the time. I'm not sure exactly how I phrased it, but when we first started, we we would we would make an announcement like that at the beginning and then get into it. I I almost picture it like the uh, parental guidance warnings now at the beginning of TV shows. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll contain some mild violence and 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 punk rock attitude. <laughs> I guess I I guess you know once you know once the once the music started and we would be playing, you know, stiff little fingers or medium, medium or gang of four or something, all these things that sounded very, um, you know, aggressive and, um, 
they, you know, they, they didn't sound, they didn't sound like classic rock, you know? So no. anybody who, who wasn't ready for it, wasn't, wasn't going to put up with that for too long. I, I'm trying to picture the, the mindset of some kid listening or college kid or high school kid. And the first time they hear gang of four on the radio and just, you know, melt in your brain that's just <laughs> it's just so cool. yeah i i mean it, it is so cool because a lot of these groups they came up they they were total originals like there was yeah. never anybody who sounded like that before and it's just an incredible thing um and there were so many of them like um i mean even the cure they didn't it, who made their first record in like the late 70s and yeah. uh not, none, none of these groups, some, all the ones that became famous and many of the ones that are forgotten, they were just total originals. And it's, it's, it's just a wild time for music. Yeah. Yeah. And so many bands that were part of that, that post-punk and new wave scene and, and eventually become mainstream rock and roll artists and, and, you know, now classic rock and, and uh, you know, you try to explain that, you know, the talking heads were, you know, a punk band and yeah. people are like, mm-hmm. well, well, no, it's a rock and roll band. It's like, well, no, that was the genre at the time. That's where they came out. They came out of that scene. So um, it must've been really interesting just pulling in all these uh, disparate voices and, and sounds and, and make it into, uh, into something new. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, by the, before 1980, none of it, almost none of it was, was at all mainstream. Um, yeah. It wouldn't have been until, MTV came around in like, I guess, the, the early 80s. And then, you know, then shortly thereafter, you had WLIR and a whole bunch of other stations in other cities that were doing that format. And they made, you know, they made some of these bands extremely popular. Um, but before, you know, in 78 through 80, um, you know, even even Talking Heads weren't weren't huge band by at that time. Right, right. <laughs> Um, you've kind of alluded to this, but I, I like, I like to come back to this question and like, you know, before you showed up at the radio station, you've got an idea of what you want to do. You're a WBAB, you're graduating high school and you show up at Hofstra. What did you think it like, you know, 18 years old, what did you think the radio station was, would, would be and, and what did it become for you? Well, I, was, a, I guess I was a little puzzled when I, when I went there and I heard all these kind of esoteric shows that were that didn't seem to be aimed at at at, at kids like I, right. I i guess i might have had the preconceived idea that a college radio station would be for the students like would be something that the students would want to listen to or if not the students then the community and i and uh i guess there's various ways you can um serve the community you could have community you could have people from outside the station from who lived in the area come in and do shows or you could do reporting on government or various other things um but uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff seemed i didn't quite i didn't quite understand you know why why they had some of the shows that were on the air there but right. i I heard the rock show and I realized that there was no reason for a college rock show to be doing what the, what the WBAVs and WNEWs of the time were doing. So right. that's why I really wanted to change that. 
and then and then it seems like like we said you know it kind of became a full-time job for you it became uh, a real passion and uh it, it took oh, yes. your time yes yes i i it became yeah i i would yeah i slept breathed and ate radio uh for the for a couple of years and uh totally neglected my actual schoolwork well it, it sounds like you got quite an education there that's uh that's that's worth its weight i think it it may not be a college degree but but it's it's pretty impressive yeah there were uh there were there were some people who worked at the station um who went on to become who went on to have long great careers in radio sal lacurto was one and steve jones was another and uh and so it, it obviously taught them what they needed to know to go on and do a lot more. Sal, uh, only, he, he only was only there for one year, and then he transferred to NYU. And he started a show like this there. It was called The New Afternoon Show. On, mm-hmm. uh, and it was on WNYU for at least much of the 80s, basically. And it was on, uh, you know, for, four out, for three or four hours, or, you know, in the afternoon. So he probably had a... And it was in Manhattan, so they had a, they had more of a chance of getting a, a, an even bigger audience. And it was it was a it was a pretty big show for a while. Yeah, I remember that in in the '90s, being profoundly jealous of that, doing my shift from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. And these guys are playing stuff in the afternoon in, in Manhattan. I remember uh, being a bit jealous of that, but. Uh, but, mm-hmm. All right, that's an interesting outgrowth. That's uh, it's it's nice to see that you know it started like you said at, at Hofstra and, and went to other places that didn't just uh, start yeah. and end there. Very cool. No, it um, well, I don't know. I don't know what other. I, I I'm pretty sure that other college stations picked up on it, but I was pretty sure at the time that there weren't any uh, when this started. Um, and. In, and it would be great to say that I had the idea for it all on my own, but it was really um, because I wanted to, something to replace WPIX. <laughs> so that was that was the that was the inspiration for it. I mean, I mean, that's the dream to to hear something you like or to have an idea for something, and and you guys pulled it off. That's 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 really amazing. A lot of us show up at the at the station with an idea that we want to do this or want to do that, and it's it may or may not happen. But you guys did it, and that's. That's that's great. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, par- maybe part of the thing was the station management, the students who were the program directors and Krauss and whoever else. They weren't so interested in in the rock show. So right. if they had, if they if they were, uh, you know, they they would they might have been more reluctant to let it go in this direction, but I think they were pretty much content to leave it alone and, and let us basically have our way with it. A little bit of benign neglect goes a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is, this has been awesome. I've I've had so much fun. I I'm even before I listen back to the interview, I'm going to go dig out my gang of four vinyl and play it really, really loud and dance around for a little while. Cause that's, I feel inspired now. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories. This was, oh, this was so much fun. My pleasure. It was, it was great to do I'll, anytime.